This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Hope you are enjoying the fine turn to weather we've seen in October here in the Northeast. Uh, I am indeed, uh, though it's uh, highlighting the drought that we seem to be living through. Water levels are down everywhere. It's extreme weather throughout the U.S., it looks like. Um, yeah, even here, even in our little corner. So just when we think things have finally rotated, we're sent a mixed message this past week from bond market flows. What did you see and what, what do you think happened there? Um, we certainly saw a, a pretty sharp snapback. Uh, there was a, a definite and quantifiable loss of momentum in terms of flows into the most of the bond fund groups we track uh, during the end of the previous quarter. Uh, but the first week in October, bang, up went the flows again. Uh, I do think that some of it has to do with uh, investors focusing on the likely outcome uh, of next month's uh, presidential and legislative elections here um, and Trump's uh, flirtation with uh, COVID-19, I think, also added to the kind of uncertainty that made investors feel that it may be a little too early to leave the relative safety of fixed income fund groups. So it seems like I, it's a good spot to raise this. We have seen U.S. money market funds post uh, multiple outflows. I think what is it, eight of the nine last weeks or something like that? Is is that is that this narrative that it's the election coming yes. up? People are taking money off the sidelines to go into bond funds. Um, they are taking money off the sidelines. A um, couple of qualifiers, though. First is that. Uh, the uh, pace of the money leaving these funds, despite the pitifully low yields on them now, uh, is nowhere near as sharp as the uh, pace with which the money poured in uh, back in March and April. Uh, and secondly, though, I think you know bond funds are certainly getting a, a chunk of that money that moves off the sideline. Um, What's been more interesting recently is that probably the greatest conviction continues to be uh, expressed in our sector fund groups. Um, And they had another strong week with nine of the 11 major groups that we track recording inflows. Which were the two that did not see inflows? (laughs) Uh, Infrastructures and utilities, uh, two of the uh, more classically defensive the uh, the two I'm actually more intrigued by the infrastructure uh, fund outflow uh, since both of uh, the candidates for president uh, in November's election are uh, promising pretty hefty bumps 
uh, in infrastructure spending. Um, and certainly that's uh, an expectation for the EU Rescue Fund. Uh, and Japan has never been slow, certainly in the past three decades, uh, to open that tap when the economy needs a bit of life. So um, I am puzzling over that one slightly. In general, it does seem like coming into 2017, we heard a lot about how infrastructure and development of that space would probably be uh, a big focus for a Trump presidency. Did we, did we, do you think that this is uh, um, a sign that maybe there's concern that that won't happen under either presidency if we're seeing those outflows? Um, that, that is a good question. Certainly, I think the narrative of the Trump presidency is that uh, I do believe he thought that, uh, by opening the doors for American corporations to liberate, uh, to repatriate the money that they had been uh, keeping offshore for tax reasons, that uh, this would provide an impetus for infrastructure spending, uh, especially in the areas of information technology. Um, And that really, for a number of reasons, has not happened, or certainly not to the degree uh, that anyone expected. Instead, there were a lot of dividend checks and uh, share buybacks. Um, So, um, yeah, I think people are are a little more leery of the promises this time around, uh, justifiably. Um, And, uh, you know, the number of what they call shovel-ready projects is never quite as big uh, as it might appear. Uh, Certainly, many of this country's bridges and and similar transportation infrastructure needs attention, but uh, fixing a bridge is a multi-year project, not something that can just be done, you know, in six months. and sort of cash the checks. So I think, you know, I I think as we talk through it, uh, probably not unreasonable for investors to be a little bit cautious about those promises. Well, one area that it doesn't seem investors are being cautious about are the emerging markets. Uh, Looks like in the data that we put out last week, looks like EM equity is the new flavor of choice. Do you expect that to be a seasonal flavor or is that a a long-term 2021 uh, rotation we might see? Uh, I I think uh, it's certainly beginning to look like a rotation that's uh, more than just a, a small blip. Um, but I, I I think that it's uh, at least for the moment a fairly fragile rotation, one that could easily be knocked back on its heels uh, if something bad happens. Um, it is uh, the less so this past week, but in general has been heavily dependent uh, on investor appetite uh, for exposure to China. Um, and uh, you know certainly when you start to take a, a country by country look uh, at emerging markets, uh, there's no shortages of risks that though they're uh, sort of somewhat less than they were. Uh, back in the second quarter, you know, still fairly striking, uh, ranging from, you know, the minimal number of tourists visiting uh, Thailand uh, through to the uh, 
Turkey's newfound appetite for foreign adventures uh, in lieu of economic growth. Um, so I think I think the rotation is real, but uh, I wouldn't surprise me if it uh, uh, had a two steps forward, one back quality to it. Is uh, certainly until the new year, and and people have a better fix on. Uh, where the U.S. economic policy will be headed. It does seem like there are a number of investors out there, and and maybe it's a demographic shift, as we've talked about in the past, but um, you know, all of the uncertainty, all of the risk that's out there, it seems like this trend of moving towards ESG and SRI funds um, is that a is that a play towards avoiding some of the long term risk that we're seeing now? But people are p- hoping to put their money into those funds uh, to maybe avoid some potential impact in the future. Uh, I think that's certainly true. It's it's a it's a strange mixture of, of uh, uh, you know ethical conviction and risk avoidance um, and. The balance between the two does depend a bit on who you're talking to. Uh, certainly for older investors, I think uh, SRI ESG are seen uh, as quite defensive. Um, if the if the sort of social and economic tide really does start to sweep away, uh, you know, long established uh, economic en- engines like uh, oil companies. Uh, then at least some of your money is in the right place, and you know any credible SRIESG company runs a screen uh, that hopefully sort of catches some uh, corporate pathologies that um, uh, are likely to <laughs> uh, hurt those companies uh, more in times of stress, such as the the, the period we're going through now. Uh, so if uh, the stocks in a portfolio have passed these tests. You know, I, th- I think it's fair to say that uh, the overall risk uh, is diminished. Um, you know, in terms of performance, uh, the, these funds actually outperformed their non-SRIESG counterparts uh, during the worst period of the crisis, but uh, um, the, the performance numbers are beginning to sort of reconverge. So, Kim, what are some of the topics, stories, and developments you and the team are going to be following this week? Um, well, there's three. Uh, one, which is absolutely obvious, and that's uh, you know the the U.S. elections are now close enough that they really are uh, focusing people's thoughts uh, on what. Uh, the administration uh, and the political landscape will look like after they're over. Uh, in Europe, a uh, couple of things. Uh, uh, Brexit is once again um, uh, complicating uh, analysis of the overall picture. Um, if the EU, EU and UK uh, do cobble together a, a deal by the end of the year, you may actually see something of a, a relief uh, rally and flows to many European fund groups. Uh, and lastly, we're paying an increasing amount of attention to retail investors uh, who until this year very much had their heads below the parapet 
um, but have been showing up uh, in areas we haven't uh, seen them for a while. And there's a couple of fund groups, uh, global equity and China equity funds, where uh, the consistency of re- retail support really is quite striking. So uh, I, the, uh, the team and I will be digging into that a little bit more. Great. Brexit, the story that keeps on giving years and years yes. later. Fantastic. <laughs> right, right. Entire careers will be <laughs> founded on that one 2016 vote. All right. Thanks, Cam, and have a great week. All right. You too. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR Exchange Podcast at informa.com. Mm-hmm.